Before we get started, we wanted to take a minute to ask for your help. I personally am so grateful for the Ascension Press team in producing this podcast and making it available to thousands of people across the world. Since 2014, Ascension has been creating free Catholic YouTube videos, podcasts like this one, All Things Catholic, and articles to help people like you discover the truth and beauty of the Catholic faith. Ascension releases 18 free videos and podcasts every week and has reached millions of people with the message of God's love. While this content is free to consume, it's not free to make. So to help offset the increasing costs of production, we're asking for financial support to continue bringing this life-changing content to people who are searching for Christ. So if you or someone you know have personally benefited from Ascension's work, please consider financially supporting this podcast. Any amount is truly appreciated and will go toward things like the Ascension Presents YouTube channel, the Bible in the Year, and the All Things Catholic podcast. So to make a gift, please visit ascensionpress.com support or click the link in the description. Again, that's ascensionpress.com support. And whether you're able to support us financially or not, please keep us and the entire Ascension team in your prayers. Hi, I'm Edward Sree and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Could you explain why Jesus died on the cross? Could you explain that to someone? You know, Christians often say Jesus died for our sins, but what does that really mean? How does the cross actually work? Just picture yourself, you're at work and it's a lunch break. And one of your secular colleagues just asks you about this. It's Holy Week and they know you're Catholic. And so they say, why did Jesus have to die for your sins? How does that even solve any problems in this world? Just an innocent man suffering. Uh, how does this actually fix the problem of sin in the world? Would you know how to answer that? Could you explain the cross to that secular friend of yours? Could you explain it to your own children? It was so fascinating. We as Catholics, we, we focus on the cross all the time, right? We make the sign of the cross in the name of the Father and of the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. We use that in all of our prayers. We have crosses in our churches, crosses in our homes. Some of us might even wear crosses as, as a necklace. We have crosses everywhere. And yet, could you explain the cross? How does the suffering of an innocent person possibly make the universe a better place? These are great questions. They're fair questions. And thankfully, the Catholic Church has some great answers. And that's what we're going to look at in this week's podcast. So welcome to All Things Catholic. I'm your host, Edward Sri, and I want to give a warm welcome to anyone checking out the show for the first time. Thanks for joining us here today. It is Holy Week, and we are considering with all the church the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're thinking about the meaning of his death and resurrection and its application for our lives. I pray that you have a blessed Holy Week. I pray you can get to the Triduum, those three great services that uh, that you can go to starting on Holy Thursday night. It's not a holy day of obligation, but it is a wonderful thing to do to be with Jesus and remember the institution of the Eucharist and the washing of the feet and, and then all that happened that night. A great practice is to stay up late after the Holy Thursday Mass and spend some time in prayer. Now, you know, maybe if you're single or you don't have little kids at home, you can actually stay in adoration. Many parishes will offer that after the Holy Thursday Liturgy. You know, I'll say over the years, we've had lots of little kids. They're exhausted. They're tired. It's, it's hard enough just getting them to the Holy Thursday Mass that evening. 
morning and then we'll put them down. And then at home at night, you could, after you put the kids down, just spend a little time in prayer with Jesus. You can read the passion narratives as you're going along. A beautiful thing to do. So that's Holy Thursday. And if you could get to Good Friday, the Good Friday services uh, at your parish um, or go to a Stations of the Cross, these are wonderful ways to enter into the mystery of Good Friday. And then the Easter Vigil is amazing. Now, not everyone goes to Easter Vigil. Maybe you'll just go Easter Sunday, but whatever the case may be, I pray that you enter deeply on a spiritual level into the center of our faith. But it's the center of our faith, Jesus dying for our sins, that even though it's so central, most of us can't really explain it. It's almost kind of like, you know, explain the love you have for your spouse. It's so profound and, you know, it shapes everything about your life, but yeah. If you actually have to articulate it, you're kind of like lost at a loss for words. Oh, she's wonderful and she's amazing. But but how do you explain that relationship when we come to what's happening with Jesus on the cross? This is at the heart of our relationship with God. We have the fullest revelation of God's love for us and the cross. But could we explain it? Do we ourselves even understand what it really means that Jesus died for our sins? You know, many Christians will explain the cross like this. They'll say, Jesus took on our punishment. That's what this is all about. We were guilty. We sinned. We rebelled against God. And God could have just poured his wrath out upon us. He could have sent us to hell and we'd be eternally separated from him. But God loves us so much that even though we deserve his punishment for our sins, we deserve death, he came down and became one of us. And he died for us. He took on the punishment for us. And we can sometimes think of the cross that way. That's how many non-Catholic Christians will explain the cross. And I've actually heard many Catholics explain the cross that way, that Jesus is the innocent one volunteering to take our punishment, to take our spanking for us. But as Pope John Paul II and many others have asked, how does that actually solve the problem? I mean, uh, a, a God that just meets out punishment on the innocent is not a God of justice. That's not just to punish the innocent. And and it's certainly not an act of mercy to do that. How does the suffering of the innocent one solve the problem of our sinfulness? It can't be just him taking on our punishment. That's a very Protestant view. And I, I'm going to kill it. Not every Protestant holds that view, but there's a, a theory out there. I've mentioned it before on the show. It's called penal substitution, that Jesus is our substitute. He's going in and he's taking on our punishment, penal for punishment, substitute. So he's the innocent one volunteering to take on the punishment that we deserve. He didn't deserve it, but he takes it on for us. So, but again, just think about that. Just an innocent person taking on, I'll go to prison for you instead, or I'll just take your spanking. (laughs) Like, how does that solve the problem? And what does that make God the Father like? You know, some people critiquing this view have described this theory of penal substitution as like making God into a cosmic child abuser. He's just randomly punishing the innocent one. (laughs) Uh, If one of my kids did something wrong and deserved to be punished, but then the other one says, no, dad, just punish me instead, and I just throw out the punishment on him. Again, how does that solve the problem? And it doesn't make me a just father. I'm not a good father when I do that. Our Heavenly Father is a good, good father. He's a father of justice, a father of love, a father of mercy. He's not this angry old man up in heaven with all this pent-up anger, and he's just got to pour out his wrath on somebody, and it doesn't matter who. It was supposed to be for all of us because we're sinners, but he'll, he'll throw it out on his son and punish his son instead. That's not a Catholic understanding of the cross. A Catholic understanding emphasizes love. The Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches this very clearly. It says, it is love to the end. It is love to the end 
that gives the cross its redemptive value. You can look that up on your own, Catechism 616. It's not about the amount of blood that was shed or how many bones were broken, how many tears dripped down his cheek. Now, don't get me wrong, he really did suffer a lot, and, and, and we should really appreciate that, be so thankful for that, and it should stir our hearts to have great sorrow for our sins. But it wasn't all the pain that he went through. As St. Bernard of Clairvaux once said, the smallest drop of Christ's blood would have been enough to cover the sins of all humanity. Just the tiniest bit of Christ's blood in that little, just one drop, is infinite love being offered. Because who is Jesus? Jesus is no mere human being. He's divine. He's fully divine. This is the eternal son of God who became man, took on our human flesh. He became one of us. So he's fully human, yes. And he goes through all the pains and sufferings that a human would do, but he's also fully God. And so just one little drop of his blood, one little freely offered sacrifice is an infinite gift of love. Because that's how love is often expressed through sacrifice, isn't it? Let's remember what love is. Love is to will the good of the other. It's to seek what's best for someone else. That's what real love is. It's putting the other person before myself. Many times that will entail me sacrificing my preferences, my self-interest, my comfort, my gain. Jesus himself says, there's no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. And what amazing love that is. That, that's the love of Jesus. I mean, imagine if you were crossing a busy street and all of a sudden a friend notices that there was a car that was about to hit you. You didn't see the car, but your friend noticed and he pushes you out of way to save you, but your friend gets hit by that car in the process and your friend dies. Imagine that your, your friend died. He died for you. That's love. That, that was a sacrifice. That's what Jesus is talking about. No greater love is this, you know, than, than a man lay down his life for his friend. It's not about your, your friend in that situation didn't like go, oh, here, let me take the punishment for you. You did something wrong. Let me, no, no, no. He's making a sacrifice. He's sacrificing himself out of love for you. That's the essence of the cross. It's about a gift of love. Jesus, fully human, fully divine. He, he's fully human. He's one of us. He can offer a gift of love on our behalf. He really represents us, but because he's truly God, his gift of love has infinite value. It's amazing. It's an amazing love, an infinite love. But what about this idea that, you know, well, Jesus took on our punishment. Didn't he take on the punishment? Doesn't the Bible talk about this? And, and it, it's true that there is, there's a sense in which he does, but don't think of it as, hey, I'm going to volunteer and, you know, spank me instead, Father. That's not what's happening. I maybe use this example. Imagine if there was um, a father going hiking with his son. I, I live in beautiful Colorado. We often go hiking up in the mountains. And uh, picture you're up hiking the mountains, and there's this powerful river, you know, that that they pass in the mountains. And the father tells the son, "You know, don't get too close to the river. It's dangerous. You could be swept away by that river. Stay up here on the main path. Don't go down by the river." But imagine if the son disobeyed the father and drew too close. And he slips into the water, he falls into the river, and he's swept away. He's swept away by the rushing cold waters with many dangerous twists and turns, and there's these big branches and large rocks, and he's being beaten up by the river here, choking in all this water, frigid, this, this poor child swept away. What would the father do? 
father wouldn't hesitate. He'd jump in. He'd immediately jump in to try to save him. But in the process, what would happen to the, to the dad in the story here? The, the father would start taking on all of the pain and suffering of the son. He would experience what the son is experiencing. The frigid cold waters, his body being beaten up by all the rocks, his head banging into a big branch and bleeding, the feeling of just not being able to control your body, choking in lots of water. He's, he's suffering all the things that his son is suffering. He's entering into that suffering. Why? To take some punishment? No, no. He's entering into what the son is enduring, the suffering of the son to rescue him. And it's only by uniting himself into that suffering that the father can come out of the, the water, emerge out of the water with his son to rescue his son. I think that's the essence of the sense in which Jesus takes on our punishment. He enters into our, our, our condition. There's, there's a lot of biblical background to all of this. I'll just share with you briefly. It's interesting in the book of Deuteronomy, this is the, the book that gives you the kind of like, I like to think of it as the national constitution for Israel once they settle into the promised land. This is going to be their, you know, what their calling is in the land and how they're called to live, to follow God. But if they break the commandments, if they don't follow God and they start living like the pagan nations around them, they start worshiping their gods, what will happen? They will no longer have the blessing in the land. They're going to lose the blessing. Deuteronomy chapter 28 says that the Israelites will be carried away, swept away in a series of curses. They're going to not receive the blessing of the land. The land is not going to give a rich harvest. They're they're not going to be fruitful in the land. They're going to suffer many diseases, fevers, boils. So lots of suffering. And the greatest suffering they're going to endure is going to be not just the fevers and the blindness and the boils, but also death. They're going to experience, it's described in Deuteronomy 30 as this this being under the curse is like a death. And then it says in Deuteronomy that even their king, the leader, the one that represents them will be carried away by the Gentiles. They will go into, the king will go into exile. That's like one of the greatest, most tragic parts of the curse is that not only will they suffer, but even their, their great king that they're going to have someday, he will be carried away by the Gentiles into exile. Think about what happens on Good Friday. Well, think about Jesus' whole public ministry. What's he doing? He's going out to all those who are suffering. He's going to those that have fevers, like Peter's mother-in-law, and he cures them. He goes to those that are lepers, those that are paralyzed, the sick, the suffering. And obviously, he's going to all of those that are suffering the effects of sin that you read about in Deuteronomy 28. In a sense, you could say he's bringing himself in solidarity with those that are experiencing the curse, the effect of sin. He even experiences death. Remember, Deuteronomy 30 says that, you know, disobedience of the covenant is like death. And Jesus will go to his death on Good Friday in solidarity with our, uh, our condition. And he, he's going to be that king that Deuteronomy 28 foretells, the king that is carried off into exile. Because what happens to Jesus? Jesus is the king. That's the big theme. Listen for this when you go to the Good Friday liturgy. When you go to, to the liturgy on Good Friday, you're going to hear this idea that Pilate asks Jesus several times, are you a king? So you say you're a king. 
and he presents Jesus to the crowds. Look at here's the king of the Jews, and he's mocking him, having Jesus, you know, dressed up, you know, in royal purple, but not really because he's been beaten down and is scourged, and he's uh, he's got the crown of thorns on his head. So it's all in sarcasm. But multiple times, Pilate's going to be talking about Jesus as the king, and he means it in jest. But John's gospel puts it in there to highlight that this is true. Jesus really is our king. And he's the king handed over to Pilate and to the Roman soldiers, the Gentiles. And he's carried out of the city walls of Jerusalem to be executed on Calvary. You see, what's happening here is Jesus is taking on the curse of exile. The Israelites had to leave Jerusalem, go out of the city walls, and they went into exile in Babylon. And Jesus is is entering into that whole experience. He's the king going out the city walls to be executed at the hands of the Gentiles. You see, the whole story of, of Jesus' public ministry is very much about him going to all those dark corners of Israel to unite himself with the people in their suffering. And in doing so, because he's the light of the world, the darkness goes away, right? If you want to get rid of darkness, what do you do? You, you can't blow darkness out of the room. I'm going to try to blow it out. <laughs> you know, you can't push darkness out of the room. The only way to remove darkness is to shine the light. Who is Jesus? He's the light of the world. Where does he go? To the dark corners of Israel. He goes to those who are suffering. He goes to the poor. He goes to those lepers. He goes to the blind. He goes to the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, all those that are viewed as outside of covenant. And by going to them and meeting them in their darkness, he dispels their darkness. The leper's made clean. He's not just cured physically. He's brought into covenant with God and with society again. It's amazing. When Jesus goes and he has meals with the sinners and the tax collectors, he's not just being nice to them. It's an expression of covenant solidarity saying, these are the people that are part of my kingdom. His light is shining and dispelling the darkness in their hearts. That's the pattern throughout his public ministry. But we see it most fully on the cross as Jesus goes and enters even into the curse of death. But again, this is not about taking on a spanking, being sent to prison. No, no, this is about Jesus going to the prisoner in prison. This is about Jesus going to the places where the suffering exists. He's uniting himself to us. So don't think of it as like there's wrath up there and it just has to be thrown out on somebody. And so the divine wrath has to come down on someone. It was supposed to come down on all of us. And we were supposed to be destroyed and and and, and experience death and be separated from God. But instead, God's going to throw that all on his innocent son. That is not a Catholic way of looking at the cross. That's penal substitution. I want to share with you something um, the good Bishop Barron once said about this. He sums up very beautifully uh, what you find in essence in the theology of the great medieval theologian uh, St. Anselm, who wrote a wonderful book called Cur Deus Homo, Why the God-Man. And he's explaining why did God become man so that, he, so that God can unite himself with human, the human family and then offer his life as a gift of love to the Father, that that's the only thing that would restore us to union with God. It's all about love. Anselm doesn't focus on all the punishment. It's the, the love that God is offering, the gift of, of himself. Listen to what Bishop Barron says beautifully in sum, summarizing this. He's, he uses an analogy of diamonds, that we are made in the image and likeness of God. We're these beautiful, 
radiant diamonds, but we've fallen into mud. That's our sin. And so the likeness of God has been, you know, has been disfigured in us. It's fallen into the dirt and Jesus is going to come and rescue us. So that, that's the analogy already. So listen to what, what Bishop Barron says. We, we sinners are like diamonds that have fallen into the muck. Made in the image of God, we have soiled ourselves through violence and hatred. God could have simply pronounced a word of forgiveness from heaven. He could have just said, hey, I forgive you. But this would not have solved the problem. It would not have restored the diamonds to their original brilliance. In other words, God could have just set up in heaven, oh, I'll just pardon you all. But then we would just still be diamonds in the mud, dirty diamonds, not shiny, are not beautiful. God, God loves us. And he doesn't just want to pardon us. He wants to come and rescue us and heal us. Listen to what Bishop Aaron says. He says, instead, in his passion to reestablish the beauty of creation, God came down into the muck of sin and death and brought the diamonds up and polished them off. In so doing, of course, God had to get dirty. The sinking into the dirt, the divine solidarity with the lost is the sacrifice which the son makes to the infinite pleasure of the Father. It is a sacrifice expressive, not of anger or vengeance, but of compassion. I, I thought that was just a great way to, to summarize this here. Uh, again, we're these diamonds in the mud, and God doesn't just go, oh, hey, I, I forgive you for getting dirty, you diamonds down there. I just pardon you. No, no, no. God actually comes down and enters into the dirt and comes to rescue us. Because he wants to polish us. He wants to cleanse us. He wants to make us new. He doesn't just want to leave us down in the dirt. So this is what he does. He enters into solidarity with the lost. He enters into our, our muck, the muck of our sin. This is the sacrifice that the son makes. It's not about taking on a spanking. <laughs> no, no, it's the, it's the love of the father diving into the river to save his son and experiencing all the suffering. Or in this analogy, the Bishop Barron uses, it's, the, it's God entering into the mud, into the muck to rescue us, the diamonds. It's a sacrifice expressive, not of anger or vengeance, but of compassion. The Father has such compassion on us. He sees our brokenness. He sees the mistakes we've made, the sins we've committed. And he still loves us. And he's just so driven to want to come and rescue you. Isn't that amazing? So he's willing to jump into the river. He's willing to jump into the mud and rescue his, his wonderful son, his beautiful daughter. He wants to rescue the beautiful diamond that's been covered by the muck. That's what Jesus does on the cross for us, my friends. It's love. When you look at the cross, think about what Jesus did for you. If your friend stepped in front of the car so that you wouldn't die, if your father jumped into the river to save you, wouldn't you be so thankful? That's what our God did for us. It's not penal substitution. It's not about taking on the wrath of the father. It's about love, driven by compassionate love for us. And he offers his life as a gift for us out of love. That's the essence of the cross. May you have a blessed Holy Week. May you enter into the mystery of Jesus's death and resurrection. And may it bring you evermore new life in Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening, my friends. You can always reach me on my website, edwardsri.com. That's edwardsri.com. Or you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. God bless.